Hello, this is a Jace Media Podcast. We are a negative profit endeavor. In this episode, you will hear General Alexander Bradley as he details the courage of the coal miners of his time, the Verdon Massacre, his life, Mount Olive, Illinois, and his death. He speaks from his final resting place, Union Miners Cemetery in Mount Olive, Illinois, the only union-owned cemetery in the United States. I was born in 1866, the son of a coal miner in England. My uh, family, they migrated to Illinois by 1875, and at nine years old, I went to work in a coal mine. I went to work in what they called the old canteen mine, or as the miners called it, the devil's hole. And it truly was a pit of hell. The working conditions, the disregard for a child at nine years old to work in a mine, I want to take a little more time to explain this. Coal miner, when he got 24 cents a ton, he had to pay his helper that loaded the car. He had to pay for his dynamite or his blasting powder, his fuses. Had to pay for his equipment to be sharpened, his tools. So many a child end up going in to a mine, working side by side with their father. Is what they had to do for the family. So I started out in the mine nine years old. It was in the mines I learned about the hazards of the mines. And deep in the mines we learned about the union. I heard men talking about the union. And you need to understand during this time, talk of a union would most certainly get you fired. It'd probably get you beat on the way out if you didn't get killed. Well, I kept mining, and by the time 1894 rolled around, they had a petition and boots march on working the sea. man by the name of Jacob Coxey's, Coxey's Army. And I was one of Coxey's first recruits to help lead. And along came the Panic of 1893. And in the Panic of 1893, America experienced an economic crash that they never never known before. There was 10% unemployment. History will show you for, for roughly half a decade. A week without work meant starvation. The homeless were blamed for their conditions. So put that in perspective when you're thinking about this because when we're going up to 1898, we're still at a half a century and a decade, or 10% unemployment. And it was in 1893, I ran across a man by the name of Jacob Coxie. Well, Coxie and I and other men, we went out to Washington, D.C. But the people out west, they tried to join in too. It was an awful long trip. They decided to borrow a few trains. Well, the railroad company wasn't too happy about that loan. And the United States Army met them in Iowa. They turned the trains back around, but they let the men walk back. Jacob Coxey had a great idea. And he was a man that liked to dress in a fine tailor-made suit. Because, see, working men didn't get listened to in working clothes. But anyway, those of us east of the Mississippi that made it, we had high hopes when we went to Washington, D.C. And we were basically told ahead of time if we dare step on the Capitol lawn and enforce the law known about keeping off the grass. And I had to point out a great irony to that in recent history that we just had not too long ago about people trampling the Capitol. But what happened to us, our high hopes got results of being beaten down, we had our heads busted, our leaders were arrested, and we were sent out of town like beaten down animals. Because that's what they viewed us like in the city papers. So you can only tell the United States government to be the ultimate gun thug when it comes to labor rights. That's one thing you can count on. But what it did do, it taught the capitalists and Wall Street to be scared of hell of masses. Wall Street and capitalists trembled. And us working people, we found out that we might have to bust heads in return too. 1897 rolled around. Nine mine workers tried going on strike nationwide. Illinois had 350 miners at that time, roughly. Possibly half of them from in this town of Mount Olive. When they told you earlier about Mount Olive being historic, you better believe it, Mount Olive was historic. Mount Olive stood out. The miners of Mont 
Well, one of the first ones that went to take down strike to honor the strike, and I made myself an organizer. And I knew that meant putting myself out there where I might be staring down guns or whatever, like Mother Jones did in West Virginia. Some things are worth fighting for. And I had the word of mine in Belleville, Illinois, but they would go on strike too. But within a few days, they changed their mind. To be honest, that made me mad as hell. What's a man without his work? So I decided to sit there and tell the miners, upon all, that we're going to go back down there. And this time I'm taking you with me. And we're going to get those men to join. And I took the miners from this town and we marched. And we left Monolith with a large mass of miners, followed by a supply wagon with our provisions. Went through Staunton. They led us through the town with a parade in Staunton, the miners' band. Ended up in Edwardsville at 6 o'clock in the morning to wake them up to let them know that there's a whole bunch of miners weren't too happy in town, which caused the miners in Edwardsville to decide they were going to take off the work that day. They decided to join in. I ended up going to Belleville, or Collinsville, got the men to join in Collinsville, and then off to Belleville we marched. Now we were given a march right down through Main Street. The city officials said we could come right in, but they did let me know that I would accept what the miners decided. That was common in those towns. Basically, they, if they did let you in, they'd say you're going to accept it and you're going to go on. And at that time, I had to go over to St. Louis to get some provisions. And on my right way to St. Louis, I met two men, and they wanted to take me to dinner. We were after a fine dinner and some fine cigars and a few drinks, they offered me a $250 bribe to stop. I decided, hey, why not get $500 so I count them $500? Thing is, I used that $500 to buy boots for my men and provisions to go along with the money I had. So I just figured it was a donation to the cause. Then we got over to Glen Carbon. Glen Carbon was really important because Glen Carbon, that was a token paid company. What I mean by that is you did not get real money, you got a token. You owned, you lived in a company home, and they say a man that paid a, paid a token has more to lose, I guess. The man paid a dollar, but I really don't know if that's true. Because if you're just as broke, you're just as evicted, you're just as thrown out. You lost a lot. So bear this in mind, because we are four years in this 10% unemployment when these men decide to go out on strike. That's a gutsy move. In Illinois, there's roughly 400 dues-paying members. Most of them were from here in Montalve, Illinois. But come April 1st, 1898, they sell the strike. And on that day, the Verdon Chicago Coal Company decided they were not going to honor the settlement of that strike. And in Verdon, Illinois and Payne, Illinois, they started stockading their mines. They locked the workers out. It was a barricade situation. It was not a strike. A lot of people misconceived the Battle of Verdun thing it was a strike. Those men were locked out. They were fighting for their jobs. Well, history tells you that they rolled in a train one day. And on that train, besides the 175 scabs from Alabama, specifically black scabs because they wanted to do racial divide, even though Verdun was not a racially divided town, but they wanted to try to create a racial divide. And on that day, seven men got killed. Seven miners died. Three of them are buried right over there. The reason they're buried over there is because for a whole year, these men were debated on whether they were murderers because mine guards got killed. Because see, mine guards wore badges. Made them important. They wore suits. Made them important. After traveling through Southern Illinois, I returned to Mont I wanted to be summoned to coffee in Illinois in August of 1897. Seems the mayor didn't want our fellows to come in there and talk to their miners. It's during this time, roughly 500 of my men and I camped outside of Coffee in Illinois, required a visit from the state's attorney and from the county officials in Montgomery County, let me know I was bankrupt in their county. Seems they had to hire over 500 guards just to keep us out of Coffee on day and night shift. On the taxpayer dime, of course. Well, I told them they were going to stay here until hell freezes over, and then we're going to march across the ice. But this was in August, and hell don't freeze over very soon in there. So. I had about 500 more miners show up, and before you know it, I had 1,000 miners, and we decided we were going to go ahead and go coffee anyway. So I brought the original 500 in from one direction, our 500 in coming from the backside. 
before the guards realized that they were the meat of the sandwich, so to speak, uh, they arrested me for incitement. And a thousand dollar bond put on me. The mayor of Montalve and his merchants of Montalve telegrammed the state attorney's office before that evening even fired to let them know they'll be there to bail me out first thing in the morning. My thousand dollar bail was posted. I was told I couldn't go to Coffeen, and the mayor informed the judge that I'm with them and they're going to Coffeen, and that's exactly where we went. As a side note, the miners held coffee for roughly three or four days before we decided to give it back. I had to lay low because I was waiting for grand jury indictment, so I summoned down to Western Arkansas in Indian Territory. And I ran across the superintendent down there who was, for lack of a better word, was a very cruel man. His name was Ludlow. He let me known to me that before he was done with the miners, he would have them eating their children. The barbarity of the mine owners, there's no describing it. I came back to Illinois. After being found not to have committed any crime, I went back to organize. And on April 1st, 1898, a contract was reached in Illinois. Immediately at that time, coal mines and pain and burden, they decided they weren't going to honor this strike or this contract. They immediately threw the miners out. And there was a lockout, and they started building stockades and started arming the guards. And it was at this time, they put out a call for black miners from Alabama specifically. Coal companies like to create a racial divide, among other things. They like to keep people separated by their different ethnicities. Long story short, things build up, and before you know it, a call was sent out. And over 2,000 miners showed up outside of the Burden Coal Company in Burden, Illinois. Roughly 500 of those miners were people I organized. Out of the um, 2,000 people, 60 of them were a delegate from Mount Olive here. Well, they brought the train in, and all counts say that the gunfire came from the stockade first. What is known is seven main, seven miners lay dead in the field that day, an eighth man died later that evening. Eighth miner died later that evening. If I remember correctly, there were three people from the other side. I returned back to Mount Olive. I went back into mines. I was a coal miner. I dug coal, I ate coal dust, I picked coal, I dynamite coal, I loaded coal, I drank with the best of them, and I sure did fight with the best of them if need be too. The one thing about Bradley was, by the time the last couple of years of his life, by the time he, I died at 52, I'd already been 41 years in the mine at 50 years old when I was broken down, my body was giving up on me. I guess, <laughs> never medically diagnosed, but I was sure you'd say black lung because I had respiratory issues. I had a, a pretty good problem with alcohol because I'd drink my pains away just like everybody else did Alcohol was medicine to a lot of people. And it was the people in this town that helped take care of me in my last dying days. The city of this town has a rich history of taking care of people because such things have went over the Paint Creek, Cabin Creek strike, 1912, first martial law. This town donated $250 to the striking miners out in West Virginia when Mother Jones could only collect $100 from the socialist Eugene Debs and all them in the Matthew Convention in Columbus, Ohio. And not only that, but these people set shoes. And when you see a picture of Mother Jones putting shoes on children, know that that started right here from Montauk, Illinois. Sadly, I passed away at 52 years old, broken down man, but they honor me with having me buried over there with the ultimate man that gave their lives for nine mine workers. You may contact us at J-A-S-E Media Service at gmail.com Performing as General Alexander Bradley was Dale Hawkins, the Redneck Historian. With permission, music and sound effects by Fesleyan Studios and Apple iMovie. You will find more of our work on your favorite podcast medium. Thanks for listening.